Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Colonial's network was infected by ransomware. We should be concerned about cybersecurity. And it's a criminal act, obviously. Bring its pipeline back to full operational capacity. 266,000 jobs in April. We need action. Now what? If you're receiving unemployment benefits and you're offered a suitable job, you can't refuse that job. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. And uh, we are following the uh, pipeline story, the ransomware pipeline story. You know, uh, a, a lot of different views on this. Will this be a big deal? A lot of people are saying, eh, nah, it's not that big of a deal. They'll get it fixed, and uh, you might see prices go up a few cents. What's interesting about this whole pipeline ransomware thing is the timing of it. Right when Joe Biden wants to pass, how many trillion dollars is this infrastructure? I mean, you lose track. He's, he's got $1.9 trillion for this project, $2 trillion for this, $4 trillion for that. I think it's, isn't it like $4 trillion for the infrastructure? And uh, it's, it's just a little curious, the timing of this. Someone smarter than I said of the uh, infrastructure bill and the ransomware, hmm, was this an inside job? Now, the pundits are all saying what was some Russian conspiracy that uh, is doing this. Look, I'm not saying it was somebody in the Biden administration, but it is very, very curious how Joe Biden, as a part of his infrastructure, and by the way, a lot of this infrastructure bill is not for infrastructure. In fact, most of it is not for infrastructure. He's selling it as infrastructure. Oh, everybody's for bridges and roads and those air- airports and railroads and all those good things. But part of the infrastructure package is that, uh, you know, we got to go make sure we have the proper security for our Internet. And we need to expand Internet and we need to expand security and all that stuff, which... I'm, I'm just saying, it's very curious. He's pushing this, and suddenly we have—this uh, is good for Joe Biden. I mean, he will go out, and he will sell his infrastructure package as the solution for the Colonial Pipeline ransomware story. Uh, mark my words. Follow it this week. See if Joe doesn't do that. I'll be shocked if he doesn't. Of course, the other big story is Joe Biden and uh, his economy, which stinks— which, again, let me, let me say this. I said it many times. I'll say it again. Don't think—now, now Joe Biden is inept. I'll, I'll agree with that. But don't think that the Joe Biden administration as a whole is inept. This is what they want. This goes back to the Cloward-Piven model of, you know what, overwhelm the system, destroy the system, We'll have an excuse to shut down the system, our way of government. It doesn't work. We need to introduce communism, socialism, authoritarianism. And the oligarchs will be made up of those people that you see in the Joe Biden administration who have not gone away from the Obama administration. So they're not imbeciles. So you can't and you can't judge what they're doing as to, okay, is this going to be successful steps to get our economy up and running? They don't want it up and running. They want it down and out. 
A number of media outlets are reporting on Joe Biden's comments today. Uh, While the president is still claiming he hasn't seen evidence that unemployment benefits are keeping people from going back to work, he changed his tune on the issue during remarks at the White House earlier today. Now, now listen to what he says. Poor Joe. I mean, the guy is senile. I mean, he, he, he comes out and he talks about how, you know, there's no evidence of it, but then he sort of stumbles and he wants to say that there's great evidence of it. Here's Joe from earlier today. We're going to make it clear that anyone collecting unemployment who is offered a suitable job must take the job or lose their unemployment benefits. There are a few COVID-19 related exceptions so that people aren't forced to choose between their basic safety and a paycheck. But otherwise, that's the law. I know there's been a lot of discussion since Friday, since Friday's report, that people are being paid to stay home rather than go to work. Well, we don't see much evidence of that. That is a major factor. We, we don't see that, that, look, it's easy to say the, the line has been because of the generous unemployment benefits that it's a major factor in labor shortages. Americans want to work. Americans want to work. As my dad used to say, a job's about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your dignity, your place in the community, being able to look your kid in the eye and say everything's going to be okay. I think the people who claim Americans won't work, even if they find a good and fair opportunity, underestimate the American people. If that's true, if what your dad said and what you're saying is true, that, oh, the people want to work, then why are you having to come out and say, if you are offered a high, good-paying job and you don't take it, you're going to lose your unemployment? That means that, to me, you opened up your comments saying that I don't trust you to take this job if it's offered to you. Then you come back and you say, well, uh, we don't see any evidence that our generous giveaway programs are keeping people out of the workforce. And then you go on and say, and it's a major factor. (laughs) What are we talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. That's the point. Come on, man. Uh, Joe, Joe. And uh, what makes it even more interesting, the geniuses at the White House, including former MSNBC anchor Stephanie Rule. She was slammed earlier today for her take on how the government unemployment benefits are affecting the U.S. labor force, arguing that the real reason is why employers are is because employers aren't making uh, offers of high enough wages. In response to an underwhelming jobs report, liberals are pushing back against the notion that unemployment benefits are discouraging a return to the workforce. Why is it? that unemployment benefits are too generous rather than the pay offered by employers too low, Rule asked. So in other words, it's not because this has nothing to do with the fact that we're paying money hand over fist to these families. I mean, in some cases, these families are seeing with, with their kids involved, I mean, thousands of dollars coming in. And I, I'm not trying to be unkind here. But some of the people that are receiving these paychecks, to them, it is if they have won the lottery. They, they aren't 
thinking things through in a real clear way that this is my opportunity to get a job and enjoy these extra goodies from the government and actually get ahead. No, they're going to take that money, quit their job or not show up for their job until the money runs out in about 30 days. A lot of these people will spend the money foolishly. They'll have nothing to show for it. And Stephanie Rule, who's never signed a paycheck, oh, she signed the back of a paycheck that she's received, but she's never signed a paycheck. She never had to meet a payroll. And she is now coming out, and the genius that she is, she's now coming out and saying, well, here's the solution. Just pay more money. And, and she is saying, if your business is on such tight margins that you can't afford to pay more money than the government is paying, then obviously your business model stinks. And therefore, you ought to be put out of business. Uh, here, here's, a, here's a little thought, Stephanie. Businesses, unlike the government, actually have to have money in the bank to meet payroll. The U.S. government doesn't have to do that. And they don't do that. They are spending trillions of dollars when they're only bringing billions of dollars in in tax revenue. They are so upside down, it's pathetic. In fact, the business models that say we cannot afford to pay more money because we're, our margins are too thin, they are actually running a fiscal responsible business. The federal government, on the other hand, is not. The federal government is like a, 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 a drunken teenager who has gotten a credit card that has got unlimited credit. And they're out there spending money as fast as they can. And for you, my dear idiot, to come out and condemn the business model that actually wants to balance their books, they have to balance their books, otherwise they'll be put in jail. You can't, you can't sign a paycheck and increase paycheck when the money's not there. They lock you up for that, Stephanie, unless you're the federal government. Daily Wire is reporting unemployment increases numbers way worse than expected. That's the talk as inflation grows. The economy appears to be struggling under Joe Biden. Uh, the top headlines from CNBC, hiring was a huge letdown in April. In fact, CNBC, when they reported this on Friday morning, the numbers were so bad when CNBC reported this, they had to go back and double-check it. Here's CNBC, cut to this. This is from Friday morning on CNBC. Let's get to Steve, because he's got the number. It's, okay, good, 1.08. Steve, the number. Uh, wow, it just came across. Give me a second here. Uh, we have the number here. Just came across. Ah, sorry about Rich that. Bob, it came across Rich. very quickly here. It Rich looks Bob, like 266,000. It looks like it was a big disappointment at 266, but maybe I have that wrong. Let me double check the Bureau website here. Uh, one second. Uh, yes, 266 is correct. Unemployment change, little change, is 6.1%. Yeah. Under, under Cousin Eddie, they were expecting like 900,000 to a million new jobs, quarter of a million new jobs. 25% of what they projected it to be. 
And what Stephanie Rule said, Joe Biden also repeated. Joe Biden said, oh, it has nothing to do with all this free money we're giving away. That's not keeping people away. No, what's keeping people away is you're not paying them enough money. That's what Joe said. Just pay them more money. They'll come back. Joe, you're a genius. When was the last time you signed a paycheck? Oh, never? Oh, okay. But you have been in Washington, D.C. for how many decades? Oh. And look, the guy didn't win the presidency. <laughs> I'm sorry, he did not win the presidency. Let's take a time out. Lots more to talk about. Love to hear from you. 561-8255. News and views for a Monday. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Uh, taking a look at your weather forecast. It, uh, it doesn't look like we're going to get the rain they said we originally were. Chance of rain later tonight, about 50% with low around 55. Tuesday, mostly cloudy, a high near 70. Tuesday night, cooling down with low near 48. The high on Wednesday... After a chance of showers in the morning, the high will be 61, so cooling down a little bit. Uh, it will warm back up as we get towards the weekend. Uh, by the end of the week, we'll be back into the low 70s. But uh, a little cool week coming up. The White House is defending ethic waivers for ex-union officials, saying they are, quote, in the interest of governing. The Biden administration has come under scrutiny from Republicans on Capitol Hill after the Biden's administration decision to circumvent federal ethics rules to staff former union officials in senior posts. This is from Fox News. Beginning in early March, the White House waived certain rules for former labor union personnel to fill Biden's transaction teams in government vacancies who would have otherwise been prevented from communicating with their old unions. A so-called ethics waiver lists constraints imposed on members of the executive branch to work with previous colleagues or clients who might benefit from their closeness to White House authority. Yeah, this, does this sound a little fishy to you? It does to me, too. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about the waivers during today's press conference. Quote, I will reiterate the president signed an executive order requiring all appointees across the federal government to sign the most stringent ethics code ever adopted by any White House. <laughs> In other words, he is violating the ethic codes, but he is also, uh, he's, he signed this executive order. And then, then Saki said, oh, but he has this really, really stringent ethic codes that these people, these ex-union bosses have to sign, even though they are going to still be in contact with their unions. I mean, this sounds like about as airtight as the agreement Neville Chamberlain signed with Adolf Hitler. Saki elaborated, saying that elaborated rather, saying when it's necessary in the public's interest to order authorized agencies to grant limited waivers and consultation with White House Counsel's office. The president, of course, has stood strong for unions throughout his career. He's proud to have led labor voices in the White House, Saki continued. Uh, this, this is just, uh, this is a disaster in the making. I mean, get ready for a train wreck here. 
but the, but the union bosses will all come out fine. Nothing will happen to them. So you've got um, one union boss was granted a waiver to allow her to facilitate communication between the government agency and the American Federation of Government Employees. Another, Celeste Drake, who was tapped to lead the White House Made in America office, communicate with her former employers, the Directors Guild of America and the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations, AFL-CIO. So in other words, normally, now it's, it's not that these people can't be hired because they're ex-union bosses. That doesn't prevent them from being hired, but it does prevent them from communicating with their old unions. Joe Biden has signed off on that and said, no, no, we're, it's, it's okay. We're going to hire you to come in and you'll be running the government in essence, but you can still go ahead and communicate with your, your union folks. That, that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, you can smell that corruption 10 miles away. Uh, by the way, a California hospitality union has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on political campaigns and executive salaries as the coronavirus crisis ravaged its membership. Unite Here Local 11, which represents more than 32,000 hospitality workers in California and Arizona, saw upward of 95% of his membership laid off at its peak of the coronavirus crisis. By the end of 2020, membership had declined by nearly 40%. Still, executives barely saw their salaries decrease in the face of the membership struggles, with the top three leaders taking pay cuts of about 1%. The union also continued to spend on political initiatives, pumping more than 431000 into the 2019-2020 cycle. That's all you need to know right there. The union bosses, eh, maybe 1% decrease in their salaries. But we still spend a half million dollars on electing Democrats. But the actual union members, nah. Stick it where the sun don't shine. That's basically what's happened to them. They're worthless. The, the union bosses, and the, the, these union members here, uh, they're acknowledging that the union bosses are, are worthless. That they're in it for them. Five six one eight two five five. We got Bobby on the line. Hey, Bobby. Uh, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Good to hear from you. Uh, the last time I talked to you was when I recited a poem for your friend Sadie when she left. She was there for eleven years. Remember? I do remember that call. And anyway, I hope she's doing well. And the reason that I'm calling is uh, you said something before the commercial about the election not being a reality. Yep. Do you believe? Do you believe as well as I do that if the Democrats had realized that Donald Trump had even a ghost of a chance of winning the election in 2016, they wouldn't have tried this before 2020? My personal feeling is they didn't think he had a chance, so they didn't try their shenanigans. Personally, I believe that we're in a real mess because if they passed that bill about messing up the voting uh, rolls and and what they want to try and do with that. We're going to be in for a real hard run in 22, but anyway, we're praying for the best and hoping for the best and hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, I think that, uh, be honest with you, I'm not so sure that they didn't try to do this in 2016, and it just didn't work for them. Uh, there's, there's, well, there's, some, there's stories out there that are, sort of point to that, that uh, they, you know, they just weren't sharp enough or that was the trial run and it uh, didn't work, but they got it right in 2020. You know, they learned how to cheat better. 
I, I do hope, you know, there is there are some initiatives going on. I think it's um, uh, McEnany. I think she is uh, involved in a group now that is trying to just make sure we have fair elections. Uh, again, though, if this HR one were to have pa- were to pass, uh, I don't know that you know we, we, the, the nation might be finished. Can uh, I make an observation before? Absolutely, I hang up? sure. Uh, personally, I believe that uh, if we have an opportunity in the next election for the president, that they should run uh, Ron DeSantos and Christy Nome from South Dakota, and there's nothing they could do because the people of this country would vote them in, and we give our country back. Look, thanks for very much for what you guys do. Y'all do a great job in Gumbler. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Bobby. I'd be happy with DeSantos and and uh, Nome. I'd I'd be happy with uh, Tim Scott as well. I, I'd I'd really like to see Tim Scott on somebody's ticket. I really would. We'll see what what happens though. Um, uh, speaking of Christy Nome, just came across that uh, the North Carolina Republican Party. You know they're going to have their state convention here in June in Greenville. Just saw this. Christy Nome will be uh, a guest speaker at the North Carolina State uh, GOP Convention. Speaking of Christy Nome, so you can come see her in person if you like. A new national poll indicates that most Americans approve of the overall President uh, Biden's job performance. It's hard to believe. (laughs) It's really hard to believe. Uh, And granted, you got to realize that the average American doesn't dig into the news. The... Mainstream media just overwhelmingly reports positive stories on Cousin Eddie. And uh, if if the if Americans really knew uh, what Joe Biden is doing, this this poll wouldn't be there. Uh, Although the the polling for his immigration policy is not too good. Uh, Biden stands at 63 percent approval, 36 percent disapproval. That compares to 54 to 42 approval, disapproval, and the average of all of the most recent surveys that was compiled by Real Clear Politics. So this one poll, AP NORC survey, uh, is a little higher than the average. As expected, this new poll spotlighted a vast partisan divide, 96% of Democrats, 62% of independents, giving the president some thumbs up, and only 23% of Republicans approving of the job Biden is doing and steering the country. I, I, I cannot believe that there's 23 percent of Republicans that would actually say, I, I approve of the job Joe Biden's doing. <laughs> I, I, how, how does that, I, I can't believe that 25 percent of Republicans would say that. I'm not saying this poll is fabricated. I'm just saying, uh, what are those people doing in the Republican Party? According to the poll, Biden has a 71 percent to 27 percent approval on dealing with the coronavirus pandemic, which doesn't Donald Trump get all the credit for that? He stands at 62 percent, 35 percent on health care, 57 to 42 percent on the economy. That's hard to believe. 54 percent, 41 percent on foreign policy. But the president's approval drops to 48 percent, 49 percent on gun policy, 43 percent for 54 percent against on his immigration policy. Speaking of Democrats and not liking them, California's population fell by more than 182,000 in 2020 
the state's first yearly population decline in recorded history. Uh, that's pretty significant. Stop and think about it. The first time the California population has declined since history records of this sort have been kept. The shocking exodus could be an issue for the embattled governor, Gavin Newsom, who faces recall. Earlier this week, the California Secretary of State announced recall proponents had collected enough valid signatures to trigger the recall. Rising crime and homelessness, unaffordable housing costs, exorbitant rates of taxes, botched response to the COVID-19 pandemic, all factors fueling the effort to oust Newsom. Residents have been fleeing California on a consistent basis over the last decade. According to a census data analyst, um, 6.1 million people left in California for other states between 2010 and 2020, compared with 4.9 million who moved to California from other states during that same period. Last year's population decline suggests residents are increasingly fed up with the Democrats and their stranglehold on the state. In 2019, California accounted for 12 percent of the nation. This is interesting. In 2019, California accounted for 12% of the nation's population overall and 25% of the nation's homelessness population. It got worse in 2020. Homeless population rose by 7%, 13% just in L.A. County, 25% in San Francisco. Uh, bottom line is people are running away from socialist socialism and I, I, again, if we had honest elections, there ain't no way these people would be in office. Who we got? Five six one eight two five five. Let's go to Roy. Hey, Roy, how are you, sir? Hey, buddy. I'm I'm sorry to kind of interrupt a little bit. That's but, all right. Uh, go for I've it. Been, I've been I've been coming from Greenville, going all the way uh, through Washington, and there's a backup and gas pumps like you've never seen in your life. Really. Oh, uh, they're freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. I guess it's all to do with this Russian cyber attack on a juggernaut of the of the gas, and and everybody's scared to death, and they're trying to fill their tanks up. Yeah, I you know I, I actually uh, went out and got gas yesterday. I mean, I needed it anyway, and uh, the line wasn't bad at all. It was a little heavier than normal, but you're saying it's back way up. I'm talking about out into the street. Wow. Stop shades shades of Jimmy Carter, huh? Oh, man, I'm telling you. I kept looking back to see if it was even or odd license place back there. <laughs> That's right. Old Jimmy Carter, hey, if, you had had, a, yeah, if you had an even license yeah. plate, you got it one day odd the next day. Yeah, I remember those days. And every, every debate and argument I ever had with a Democrat about the worst president ever was always Jimmy Carter. Now, yeah. another one comes up to back. Yeah. That'd be a good poll. Who are the top three worst presidents? Uh, and the listeners to this program, I'm sure Joe Biden would be in the in the running. Jimmy Carter, for those folks old enough, and Barack Obama. I would say that's, those are your top three. In fact, I would say I would say Joe Biden. You know, it's interesting. Joe Biden went and visited the Carters last week. Jill and Joe went and visited them, and I wonder if if Jimmy actually thanked Joe. For the fact that he is now now not the worst president in the history of the United States. Thank you, Joe, for that. <laughs> no doubt. I am a little upset at you with that comment you just made. What's that? You, you, you didn't. You didn't say Doctor Joe Biden. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, you know, she's not a medical doctor. I don't. She's like Doctor Zeus, I guess. I don't Come know. on, man. Well, 
<laughs> hey, Roy, thanks for the call. Appreciate the update. Uh, so, yeah, if you're driving past a gas station and you need a little gas and there's nobody there, you might want to stop in and get some. Wow. Yeah, do you remember those days? My producer's too young to remember those days. He probably wasn't even born back when Jimmy Carter was around. Maybe. About that, he was he was he was in diapers, perhaps. But uh, yeah, remember those days where? Okay, well, well, you were you were just a toddler. The um, but the days of Jimmy Carter, when uh, Roy's right, when you had to have uh, depending on what day of the week it was and what your license plate number was, you could you could go and and get gas or not. And oh yeah, and and those days it, it was not only backed into the streets, but uh, I mean some some cases they were. You know, you'd see 50, 75 cars in line waiting to get gas. Hey, let's take another time out. We come back. Got some state news want to share with you. News and Views continues right after this. Join the show. 252-561-TALK. News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. 21 minutes past the, I mean, before the top of the hour, I should say. PJ Media is reporting on Joe Biden and his um, Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, this is, the, I don't want to be mean to Laurel and Hardy, but uh, Javier Becerra and his sidekick, Richard Rachel, I'm not sure who I am, Levin, the ugliest <laughs> member of the Biden administration. I'm sorry, but if this. It's a biological male that thinks he's a female, dresses up as a woman, and whew, as I like to say, if he fell in the lake, it would uh, be skimming ugly for two weeks. Uh, they have announced that HHS would adopt an Orwellian redefinition of sex to force transgender ideology in the medical field. Uh, Javier, uh, quoting him, he says, the Supreme Court has made clear that people have a right not to be discriminated against on the basis of sex and receive equal treatment under the law, no matter their gender, identity, or sexual orientation. That's why today HHS announced it will act on related reports of discrimination, Barcera announced. He cited the case Bostock versus Clayton County 2020, where the court wrongly decided that Title VII's prohibition of discrimination on the basis of sex applies to discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. I'm not so sure about that, Barcia. Fear of discrimination can lead individuals to forego care. It can have serious negative health consequences, Barcia uh, argued. It is the position of the Department of Health and Human Services that everyone, including LGBTQ people, should be able to access health care free from discrimination or interference, period. Levin framed the issue as a matter of health care access for regular maladies like broken bones or cancer screening. Quote, the mission of our department is to enhance the health of well-being of all Americans, no matter the gender identity or sexual orientation, he, she said. All people need access to health care services to fix broken bones, protect their heart health, to screen for cancer, blah, 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 blah. Terry Schilling, president of the American Principles Project, exposed this uh, deceptive messaging. Quote, make no mistake, the policy announced by HHS today is not about fixing a broken bone or screening for cancer risk. No American was denied access for these treatments for identifying as an LGBTQ. 
Rather, this policy is really about forcing hospitals and medical professionals to adhere to leftist ideology regarding sexuality and gender, and in particular to provide sex change procedures to all comers, including children, Schilling was. You know, it's interesting that the countries over in Europe that are a lot more socialist than we are, they've rejected this. In Sweden's Karo Lysenka University Hospital, they treat minors for gender dysphoria, but they have refused now to give any kind of chemical that would cause chemical castration or surgery that's irreversible. Britain's high court ruling protected children from such interventions as well. And yet here in the United States, we got the likes of Rachel Levin slash Richard Levin, who doesn't know what he is, and yet he is going to force hospitals and doctors If you're getting any kind of federal aid, it's going to come down. You must, you must provide these services for children. Folks, it is child abuse. 5618255. Let's go to Danny. Hey, Danny, how are you, sir? Good. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Good to hear from you. Yes. um, I just wanted to say one thing real quick. Like, you say how people don't want to work, but, uh, like, my wife works in a uh, hospital, and, uh, the CNAs, when they apply for the job, they not they never put their phone numbers down, so they so they could just turn around and say they don't get called. <laughs> Makes it a little hard to hire somebody if you don't give them contact yeah. information. Wow. Yeah. And the other thing, and the other thing is, I'm a truck driver. Yes. And our biggest problem is with trucks right now is we can't get our parts to keep our trucks running. So a lot of us are going to start going down. Well, and it's a vicious cycle because right now they're saying, you know, and that's true across the board. I mean, logistics is such that all kinds of things are going to go up in price because the parts are just harder to get. But one of the other issues in logistics is actually getting the, the not having enough drivers hired to get the fuel to the gas stations. I mean, literally, there, there, there's a projection out right now that the now what we're seeing today with this uh, ransomware on the Colonial Pipeline is a different story. But they're projecting by the end of the summer, maybe even by midsummer, there's going to be a gasoline shortage. There'll be plenty of fuels, but there fuel, but there won't be enough people to truck it from the uh, supply tank to the gas station. We'll right. see. Right, and the biggest problem is, is demand uh, on uh, pieces of equipment that you can't even get. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for the call, Danny. Appreciate it. Good to hear from you. Five six one eight two five five. If you want to join us, you know we have talked in the past about the different interesting folks that Joe Biden has picked to be a part of his administration, and uh, most most of the times they're they're the far out left wackos. Here's a new one for you. President Biden's new staffer at the Department of Justice deleted tens of thousands of her tweets since November 2020, including many that pushed Russian collusion accusations against Trump. CNN analyst Susan Hennessy announced Monday that she would be joining the Biden's DOJ as part of the agency's National Security Division. So this is somebody in charge of national security. Okay, keep that in mind. 
Department of Justice National Security Division. That's what she's going to be heading up. And why, why is that important? Because of what she tweeted in the past. Hennessy has scrubbed her Twitter account where she had numerous controversial tweets, including some pushing unproven allegations of Russian collusion. Hennessy had been deleting tweets since it came apparent that Biden would become the next president, dropping over 39,000 tweets on November 16th to less than 6,000 tweets on November 29th. Hennessy's tweet count went back up in late January to almost 8,000, but her tweet count was down to less than 2,300 in late February. According to Social Blade, a total of 1,867 tweets have been deleted from Hennessy's account over the last 30 days, taking her down to 250 tweets. So what was she tweeting that was so horrible? And again, remember, she's going to be in charge, Department of Justice, National Security Division. In 2019, she tweeted in defense of Ralph Northam's memorable 2019 interview in which he said basically that it would be up to the mother and the doctor to decide once the baby is born whether or not the baby ought to live. Yeah, she defended that. Additionally, Hennessy asked her Twitter followers last year what concrete step they would take to ensure that Trump was not re-elected president in 2020 and attacked journalist Molly Hemingway to a lengthy Twitter rant after she called Hennessy out for promoting allegations of Russian collusion. Molly, there was no collusion hoax, Russian collusion hoax, Hennessy claimed. Mueller found a systemic plot by Russia to interfere in the U.S. election and that the president was aware of and sought to benefit from Russian assistance while lying to the public, she continued in the first of many tweets. Really? Did Mueller find out that uh, Trump was involved in it? No, he didn't. Quite the opposite. Now, Mueller did find out that Russia was involved in the election in a minor way. I mean, they took out some Facebook ads. But Hennessy's insinuating here, not insinuating, come out and saying Donald Trump was in bed with the Russians in this matter that Mueller was investigating and that he was guilty of it. No, he wasn't. I will recognize that it's inconvenient for you. I recognize that you think if you yell and wave your hands and lie enough times, people will believe you. Maybe some people will, but it won't change the facts of what occurred, Hennessy also wrote. In her memory, hold tweets included a widely panned one blaming the United States in part for Iran shooting down a Ukrainian pa- uh, passenger plane in 2020. Also gone are comments on sprawling Russia probe, including a a dismissal of the 2018 Republican memo casting uh, aspersions on surveillance warrant abuses by the Justice Department. Um, This person is delusional or she's a liar, and she is going to be in charge of the National Security Division at the Department of Justice. And this this is the person that the Biden administration picked. Now, look, if if conservative news media outlets can pick up on this, if Republicans in the House and the Senate can pick up on this, surely the Joe Biden administration was clearly aware of where she was standing on, on these issues. And yet they still pick her. Why? Because she fits the narrative. I mean, these are far left wacko progressives. We got to take a time out. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. 
So we have talked about the General Assembly um, proposing bills that would greatly limit Emperor Cooper's powers in an emergency. In the General Assembly, the House passed a bill that would put a seven-day limit on the governor's orders in an emergency unless the Council of State authorized his actions to continue. It also requires the governors to consult with the Council of State within 48 hours in an emergency. Cooper has received criticism throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, the shutdowns being overly authoritarian. Uh, Representative Keith Kidwell of Beaufort, as uh, Beaufort County, is the primary sponsor, sponsor of House Bill 264, the Emergency Powers Accountability Act. Of course, the Senate has their own bill, Senate Bill 346. Uh, that passed on April the 27th, 28 to 21. So you've got the legislators working on something to rein in the emperor. Uh, the Carolina Journal is reporting today that a new lawsuit filed last Friday in Carteret County would end Governor Cooper's ability to issue executive orders linked to COVID-19. The suit contends that Cooper has lost his authority to issue COVID-related orders because no state of emergency exists today. Raleigh-based attorney Chuck Kitchen filed the suit on behalf of Freedom Matters NC and Cardiac County resident Michelle Nix. You might remember Michelle ran for um, Walter Jones's seat a couple of years back. Uh, She's also a former Republican Party official. Quote, the primary cause of action in the plaintiff's lawsuit is that the state of emergency in relation to the COVID-19 no longer exists. If a state of emergency no longer exists, Governor Cooper's authority continues to issue, that they continue to issue exe- uh, executive orders ought to be terminated. The suit also challenges the continuing mask requirements under both statutory and constitutional grounds. Freedom Matters is a Moore County-based activist group. Lydia Bosch is one of the group's leaders. She got involved in the early days of the COVID lockdown um, uh, we'll see where this goes. I, God bless him for doing this. Uh, now, if if this passes in the House and the Senate and the legislature reigns in his power, then I'm assuming that the court would probably say, well, this is a moot issue. Uh, by the way, speaking of COVID and masks, Dr. Fauci came out over the weekend and pondered that perhaps it's time to no longer require uh, masks indoors. And uh, what's interesting is Scott Gottlieb has actually came out on Face the Nation and said, between vaccinations and immunity from prior COVID-19 infections will substantially drive down the risks of COVID-19. Thank you, Dr. Gottlieb, for finally acknowledging publicly that there is immunity from the folks who have actually had COVID-19. Hey, we got to run for today. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.